0: Let's go, go hands!
1: Yeah, I thought he was alright.
0: Give him back in
1: Welcome to the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. This is number 163. My name's Hugh Cavill. I'm in the host chair tonight, filling in for Rugby Reg, our loyal host from up north. He's having a few weeks off. Not sure why, but uh, on the way out, he did say something about a toxic environment here, so uh, you can read into that what you will. Uh, And obviously giving thanks to the NRC, who are our podcast sponsors, as always, doing a great job. Uh, reaching the business end of the competition, as we'll talk about later. But tonight, well, geez, we've got a star-studded panel. We've got plenty of stuff to talk about, so let's get stuck in. My first guest, he's everywhere on the internet. He's on ESPN Scrum. (laughs) He's on The Raw. He's got himself a podcast. He's talking cricket. He's talking rugby. He's talking everything. Uh, Have I missed anything, Brett Mackay?
2: No, you've you've pronounced McKay wrong, but no, McKay. You're, you're McC- oh, I, I had you've, it
1: so well too. I, you did. So well.
2: Cut, start from the top. <laughs> 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 no, you've uh, you've covered it well, mate. I'm I'm here to balance out the uh, the clear New South Wales power base that's uh, that's that's been the coup behind Reg's absence.
1: <laughs> well, look, we'll... Geez, we, we don't talk about that here, actually. We have our secret <laughs> meetings at midnight about that, but uh, again, you haven't been invited for a very good reason. For obvious
2: uh, reasons, yes.
1: Uh, also with me tonight's, uh from the forums, from the blog, uh, it goes under the name Braveheart, but uh, uh, we know him as Will McDougall. Will, how are you?
0: Yeah, very well, thanks. Uh, good to be here.
1: Fantastic. Plenty
2: rugby to talk about.
1: Jeez, oh, what, a, what a couple of days has, has it been, I mean... We've got so no, much to talk about.
2: There, have we have we missed anything? There was there was a game on Saturday night, I think, but there's nothing else going on, is
1: there? So long ago, I wouldn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll start with the big news from today, which which as expected was the announcement of Michael Checker as as Wallaby's coach. Um uh, obviously uh a lot of fanfare, a lot of uh opinion to be had about Michael Checker. I'll start with you, Bretton, with a simple question. Is he the right man for the job?
2: Yeah, yeah, without any shadow of a doubt, mate. Um there was there was a little bit of talk about you know, whether it should be an interim appointment and try and find the right bloke, but my point today, and, I, and I've had a number of discussions on Twitter about this this afternoon, is the, the, best, the best administration conducting the most transparent search in the world would have still reached the same conclusion, and therefore, if the best of bloke's available, then just do the deal. Who cares about the process? Just Just get it done.
1: Yep, I I totally agree with that. I mean, it, it's interesting. Obviously, the timing of it is is what complicates the whole procedure, isn't it? I mean, this having a tour in in three days' time. It's you couldn't ask for any worse timing, could you? I mean, other than the day before a blood is low. But you know,
2: no, no. And he and he and he sort of hinted at that at, at that today in, in the press, didn't he? he? Sort of, he was asked how much of the team he selected, and he basically said he's had to trust. The judgments of the previous regime, because in this sort of time frame, you can't be making bold selection statements or trying to make too many changes or anything like that. So, so I would expect that of the thirty-three guys named today, I would imagine they're all on a list that that, uh, that you and Mackenzie left in the top drawer of his desk.
1: Yeah, I- exactly. I mean, will they've they've appointed nathan gray and andrew blades the assistant coaches i mean there was talk in the in the last couple of days about Stephen larkham and michael foley and, and michael checker certainly intimated that that was something he was keen on but i mean do you think that's the structure that that's that that's the best for now
0: yeah i think uh certainly keeping blades on is it seems like a good call to me the uh, scrum has certainly improved in the last couple of years we've got our our two first choice props playing better than they ever have been and uh, James Slipper's certainly becoming a force in terms of uh, um, loosehead props around the world. Like you've, you've got to think he's one of the form props. So clearly Blades is doing a good job there. Um, and I think Checker was always going to bring someone along for the ride uh, from his own sort of uh, structures at the Waratahs. And Nathan Gray has certainly uh, been performing with the Waratahs' defence. They've been physical and uh, stingy in terms of uh, conceding points. So. Yeah. A shame to see uh Jim McKay and uh, Nick Scriviter go, but uh I guess uh that's part and parcel of professional sport and coaching changes.
2: Yeah, that's true. and and, and, yeah. Ch- and Checkham and Checker mentioned that today, didn't he? He he said in this in this game, when you when you've when you've been appointed, there is really only one way to do it and that's to essentially start from scratch. And I get the impression and, and he even hinted that um when in when explaining why he kept on kept Andrew Blades on, I get the impression and he even said that he was always going to take one of the of the three assistants with him, but I get the impression that which one of it was, which one it would be, was probably going to be determined by whether Foley and Larkham agreed to 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 go with him. And I, and I suspect had they both said yes, then perhaps Andrew Blades mightn't be there. The fact that he is there probably makes sense. And, and you can re, you might remember that Andrew Blades was actually a, a Robbie Dean's assistant assistant as well. So he's actually provided continuity through through the three regimes now. Um, I think as well, the door is certainly, in in my view, is is very much open that we could still see Michael Foley and Stephen Larkham involved in the Wallaby camp next year at some point. I think they've in the and again this this is Checker talking today. Sort of said, I can completely understand why they have said no in you know within a in a day's notice. To fly out on, on friday it's it's too disruptive for the start of a uh, of a super rugby campaign it's stephen larkham's first pre-season in charge um on, on his own um and you know like you, you can understand why the changes were made like they were
1: yeah and i gotta say though when, when i saw on monday i think or tuesday where it was leaked that they were looking at a coaching team of checker larkham and foley i mean my eyes lit up at that. I thought that was a, you know, yeah. It was, I was a direct, the same. Dream team. Pervert, I, I even used the words
2: "dream dream team" in a column yesterday. Uh, but yeah, it it just and even if even if it meant that they all coached super rugby next year, I, I, you can live with that in a in a World Cup year. I I sort of said that it could actually work quite easily if there was a you know an overarching director of rugby type person appointed to to sort of. You know, oversee the planning and the operations, and keep an eye on players properly during the Super Rugby season. Let Checker and Foley and Larkin coach their teams, and that'll all work well. That could it could still work well. It might still happen that way. But, but I agree. I was, you know, after after what had happened and, and, and all the turmoil of Saturday night, and I'm sure I wasn't the only one that realised. Oh, Jesus! Suddenly midnight. I've got to get go to bed because <laughs> it all just yeah. kept ha- happening for for so long, for so late. That after all that went down on Sunday and all that, and, and to to hear. Tuesday afternoon that we might be looking at a Checker-Larkham-Foley type situation. I had the same thought as you. This is actually a pretty good resolution to a to an ugly situation.
1: Because listening to Michael Checker today, Will, and I'll bring you in here, I mean, he's obviously very cognizant that what people are going to perceive of him is that he is a Waratahs man and he will favour the Waratahs players, either consciously or subconsciously. And I, I think the, the bringing in of Larkin and Foley, which he was obviously keen on, was was a pretty clear move to try and allay allay those fears that that he would just coach for the Waratahs and no one else. Would you agree?
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, even though it's it's a great political move, even though it's, uh hasn't eventuated, because it's sort of shown that he's willing to extend the olive branch and that there's no, it's not my way or the highway sort of thing. He wants sort of some collaboration and realises that the uh, the the provinces sort of or the franchises working to get together is going to produce a better result for the Wallabies. So, and it also, as as you both said, it's it's an exciting prospect, and and maybe mm. just plants the seed for the future that who knows, some point that sort of thing could happen. So, yeah, there's, there's a bit of a
2: New Zealand feel about, it, not it? There's 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 parallels to uh, to to Henry Smith Hanson.
1: Yeah, there is. Um, Brett, do you think the uh, the fact that he's staying on at the Waratahs? I mean. I, that's that. That's the one sticking point for me. Is, uh, I mean, that it's not an ideal situation, is it? Having having him be as super coach as well as the national coach.
2: No, it's not ideal. But I heard um, I heard Stephen Hoyles say on on Fox Sports this afternoon that you can get away with it in the World Cup year, and and that's it's on on the surface it sounds like. And if you were reading that in text, you'd think, hang on, what? But he's saying that because it's a, com- a compressed Super Rugby season. It's all over by July. And and so, you know, you probably can get away with it in a World Cup year. Um yeah, I am I'm not overly worried about it. it's for it's for one year, it's six months, realistically. Um and you know, the players are professional enough, Checker's professional enough to to know, you know, which tracksuit top he's wearing at any particular point in time. And I think he'll be um I think he'll be deliberately standoffish in, in the way he talks to other state players. He may not even talk to other state players. During during Super Rugby, and that's why I keep thinking in the back of my mind that we will have some kind of director of rugby or national selector type um, type person involved. It'd be it'd be interesting to see if um, if there could be an Australian equivalent of uh, Grant Fox's um, position for New Zealand, for example, where he can just you know go around the provinces and talk to the coaches, talk to the players, and 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 and, and not have any. Issue about, oh, well, you're coaching the Waratahs at the moment. So, because you're right, that stigma is always going to be there. Um, I think if they handle it well, it, it, it can work.
1: Yeah. I mean, the thing about Checker, from, from what I understand coming out of New South Wales, and, and I don't particularly know personally, but from people that do, is that the, the players at the Waratahs would walk through fire for Checker. They'd walk through mm. a brick wall. And he seems to have this effect on people. And, and I think it is one of the things that's contributed. Uh, to Ewan McKenzie's downfall and we'll get to that in a minute but that the fact that the New South Wales players within the camp and I don't know the full story but from what I've heard again, there's a you know, big chunk of New South Wales players in the camp who are under the spell of Michael Checker and, and completely mm-hmm. worship it at his altar in rugby and so I think if he can instill that in the Wallabies over the course of the next four weeks and or well, five weeks, however long it is, and have them eating out of his hand like the Waratahs players did. I think that will go a long way towards instilling good faith for next season because, you know, I think it'll be fine until he picks a squad. And if, geez, if he picks, you know, a fringe New South Wales player over, over an outstanding Queensland or, or an outstanding any other, you know, province, mm. well, then <laughs> the feathers are going to fly, aren't they? <laughs>
2: There's there's a there's a risk of that, and and I think there will always be a risk of that because of how he was appointed and because of the the circumstances around it. But but I think realistically, as, as we said at the top, the the squad that was picked I think was always going to be the squad. Um, and so you know I don't even know that you can really like there's there's no there's no bolt of selections in that. There's there's no there's no one that suddenly come from the clouds who hasn't you know hasn't featured all year we we always knew henry spate was going to go on this tour and play a test we you know tom english has been the in the um, in the squad this year luke jones has already played a test sean mcmahon was always going to go i think i think he was is quite likely for the, for the spring tour so um, you know i, I, I don't know there's actually any dangers of that so maybe the best thing he can do when, when they land over there is just take all the non-waratahs bloke for a night out in the source
1: yeah (laughs) that sounds like his style will i'll I'll pitch you this question because it's one i've been thinking about as well these few days i mean do do you think this affects our chances of winning the world cup
0: um look i it certainly must um and in saying that uh it's either going to be a negative or it could also be a positive like uh i guess the the wallaby sort of hit sort of a brick wall during the uh the rugby championship and um whether whether they were sort of going to effectively recover from that under mackenzie if it, if it stayed on or whether it was just going to get worse was was unknown but um look it's it's in many ways it's a bit of a fresh start now and uh, I think there's now sort of a, an immediate focus that this side's about to leave they've got five games and four te- four of which are tests in the uh, northern hemisphere and then super rugby and then Four games, and we're off to the World Cup, so uh, it's such a truncated sort of period of time, and everyone's going to be so busy um sort of focusing on rugby on wallabies, then super rugby, and then back on the wallabies that there's uh hopefully it will be a positive that uh it's just sort of a fresh start from now and uh an intense year sort of to the world cup um,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly um, so we'll try and shift the subject a little bit and talk about you and Mackenzie because. In all of the uh, hubbub of Saturday night, it's it's really died down on that front, hasn't it? I mean, we're now sitting on Wednesday, and the one thing I've been really interested in is that if this was, you know, obviously a lot was happening behind closed doors, or if you and Mackenzie was to be believed, that was the case. And yet, in the period after he's left, we haven't heard anything from anyone. We've had no players, no mm. anonymous sources, no nothing from anyone. Which, you know, considering what's happened in the last three weeks with leaking and counter leaking from various camps i I find that really fascinating brett do you agree
2: yeah i I do i heard i heard what you said um on on sunday that that you found it surprising that there had been no tweets or instagrams or anything like that from within the camp even just acknowledging adam mr cooper's um hundredth and and i went i actually went back through uh, you know, players that I knew were on Twitter on, on Monday afternoon as I was writing my column, and there'd still been nothing. And, and and in a lot of cases, there was tweets right up until about lunchtime Saturday. And then it was almost as if, you know, they came into the stadium and someone said, right, you blokes, do not touch social media from here on. And, and it's it's been quite strange because... Um, you know, some of the guys in there are quite prolific uses of users of social media. So, yeah, it, it has been quite strange. Um, and you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm certainly not surprised that we haven't heard from you and McKenzie. And and, and even the attempts on Sunday morning to try and get a word out even were were knocked away pretty pretty quickly. And he just said, "I had my say last night." Um, I was actually surprised he was still wearing a wallaby shirt, to be perfectly honest.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think the silence. Look, it doesn't tell you everything and obviously there's a lot you can read from it and not all of it's going to be right but I think that the the theory that some were posing that it was a divided dressing room with a with a New South Wales led faction and a, and, a, and another faction and and obviously the New South Wales players of you know with Hooper and Ashley Cooper have, have knocked off link um if you think a part of me thinks that if any player was really put out by this um that there'd be, an there'd be an anonymous, there'd be anonymous little comment to a journalist or something saying that all wasn't right, and you know, uh, I, I don't know. Are we? Will do you think? Do, I mean, do, do you think that has any merit that, that actually the players could be united on this?
0: Um, it, it's really hard to tell, but I do agree that, that not hearing anything from anyone after what was really sort of a couple of weeks of intense leaking, like meetings and things were leaked sort of, there were articles written about what were like, uh, I think the classic one was uh, the U.'s internal staff meeting where journalists were uh, quizzing Bill Pulver on comments he'd made in the meeting like, within a couple of hours of the meeting taking yeah. place. It was, it was quite amazing. Um, but yeah, it's just a uh, silence from the players. And uh, I guess the, the media's just stopped. And I, I guess people take it two ways. Like those who really, so, and I think every like let's say sort of to begin with everyone I think supported Mackenzie as coach and was uh it's hard to find an Australian rugby fan who's not a fan of Ewan Mackenzie. but um look it seemed it seemed like sort of uh a lot of people say that the media sort of dragged him down but I think I think that's ridic- a bit ridiculous like the uh the stories don't come from nowhere um there's, exactly. there's a bit of truth in, in everything, and um, the fact that it was it was so intense, and then it's all stopped, uh, seems to suggest that there was something really wrong. But uh, people seem to think that maybe we're uh, on the men now. So,
2: yeah, I think it's a I think it's a, it's a bit of a convenient um, a convenient leaning pole, if you like, that people have seen this is a media campaign that that that, um, that McKenzie's been brought down by the media as much as it might be a player led thing. Realistically, the media are only going to um report on whatever they can find out or whatever they hear or you know whatever they uncover um and the, that's the whole it's the whole reason the media is there is to to hold our bodies and our governments and our corporations to to account um and i think the media got i'm certainly not defending everything that was written or or that was alluded to or anything like that but i think the media and some journalists in particular got a bit of a a bit of a hard time over the last couple of weeks uh, last couple of days especially and And I think even now that Mackenzie's resigned and there's been nothing further and there's been no, you know, unnamed source or anything like that, I think even that's being seen as, oh, they got their man, there's nothing left to say. And so that's why it probably is and probably does feel a bit strange that we've heard nothing from the players or or anything like that since.
1: Yeah, I I agree. I mean, Bill Pulver, I think, has learned a pretty valuable lesson that you never get anywhere blaming the media for anything. because. You know, even if you're even if you're 100 correct, it's 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 not going to do you any good because you're no. just going to amplify the pressure on yourself. And and indeed, that's what's happened. And I think he admitted that the next day that he phrased that poorly. Um, and yeah, certainly Mackenzie had some,
2: say something like that. You, yeah, you can't exactly. you can't rewind time or anything like that. And I've and I've, I've I've spoken to, to Bill Pulver a, a couple of times. I've got I've got a lot of time from it for him. I think what he's trying to do with Australian rugby is um, is is very admirable, but. For him, as soon as he as soon as he said that on Saturday night, um, I I certainly felt at the time that I had no option for my column yesterday, but to have a bit of a go back. and Yeah, uh, so I did.
1: Well, we'll we'll build we'll move on to the AU uh, in a second, but I just want to pose this one question quickly of both of you: is I mean, what, what do you think, Ewan McKenzie's legacy is? I mean, in in five, ten years, uh, how are we going to look back at his what year and a year and a half or in charge of the Wallabies?
2: I think um, I, th- I think the st- his winning record will will be what it is, and it's what was it, ten wins from twenty one tests, something like that. So his winning record won't be real real good, but I think the stats will actually serve him pretty well. Um, you know, the, they they went from scoring less than three tries a test at the end of the end of the Lions series to more than four almost immediately, and that's maintained throughout. The Mackenzie reign. So he certainly there was there was an up there was an uplift in in the way the Wallabies were playing, and they're certainly playing better than, than they did at the end of that Lions series. So I, I think all in all, the Mackenzie the reign will be judged you know fairly well, despite the record perhaps not being as strong as it maybe should have been. Yeah, will I, I
0: certainly think there'll be a bit of an element of uh, sort of I guess missed opportunities. People will sort of have that sort of strong memory of how good a coach he how successful he was at the Reds and then came into the Wallabies with such promise and and then it sort of all ended so quickly and uh, so I guess uh, upsettingly like it was a pretty pretty dramatic moment in Mm. in Australian rugby Um, I think his legacy is still it's hard to know exactly how it'll end up right now I think the next the next year is probably going to impact on that because there's still i guess more and more information will probably come out uh, particularly after the beals sort of a uh, hearing on friday and then um it probably depends what checker does with the team as well like if checker's suddenly very successful then then Mackenzie's legacy will look uh look less su- successful i guess and uh mm. if um if uh, Checker has some of the stra- um, same struggles uh, winning games then uh, Mackenzie will be looked at more favorably and and that maybe he was sort of cheated out of his opportunity to to really have a crack um,
2: yeah I, I think, I think their, their, their approaches are actually pretty similar re- realistically so so I think um, you know, I, I think even if if Checker has has, has success next year um, it's still going to be largely with the same squad like, I can't I can't really think of anyone outside the squad, now, bar the obvious ones, you know Pocock, Moore, whoever um, that that might come in from the clouds, if you like. So, so I think it's just going to be an evolution rather than a revolution, if that makes sense. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, that's correct. And and you you had it right, Brett. I mean, the playing style, I think, is probably going to be his biggest legacy. I mean, that was mm. the, the, one of the key things he was brought in for. And you you look at that All Blacks test on um, Saturday, which we'll get to in a minute. But you you know, you have to say mission accomplished, don't you?
2: Yeah, you do, you do, and I think um, I, th- I think history has been perhaps a little bit harsh on Robbie Deans in that in that respect because because he had actually overhauled the game plan and and the Wallabies were actually playing quite well in the middle of two thousand eleven you might recall and then as soon as we got into World Cup mode the game plan changed and they, yeah, and we went, we started playing very very much knockout rugby from 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 the outset and never really recovered from that and so the overall narrative of how Robbie Deans coached the Wallabies was it was a World Cup failure and that's how they played the whole time. And I don't think that's necessarily true.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll move on to the ARU for a second, because this is where it seems the media attention is now shifting into, uh, the role of Bill Pulver and, and, and there are some rumors around that he might not last much longer in the, in the CEO job. Um, as you said, Brett, I mean, you got stuck into him uh, on Monday, I think, or Tuesday, mm. um, and stuck into the ARU over this. I mean, ha- ha- the Beal, I mean, let's talk about it in the wake of the Beal, um, how they've handled the Kirtley-Beal thing. But, I mean, I think they've done pretty well with the appointment of the coach in terms of what the, the cards they were dealt. I mean, I think this is a pretty pretty decent enough result. Oh,
2: absolutely. A- absolutely. No, no. This is, this is probably the the one element of this whole situation that they have handled well to be able to turn around in three and a half days um, and sign a new coach, not just on an interim arrangement, but to a three-year deal, um, I think is just about best-case scenario. And and that's probably the first win of the whole situation for uh, for, for the ARU. Um, I think this, this whole episode has really highlighted how... The, the cost cutting at at, at uh, headquarters has really impacted the professional game and and whilst you know the impact on the Wallabies is obvious but that also filters down into uh, to the states you know we're already hearing that you know the the Brumbies next year for example are, are already going to be down half a million dollars in their in their funding so you know the the the, the cost cutting and the, the the trimming of the fat and everything is is having an impact across the board uh, and I think that manifests itself in to this whole situation with the wallabies, you know, where there still hasn't been a proper team manager for, you know, for nearly 12 months. And, and, and I think, you know, that's been a major failing, I think of the, of the management of the, of the game overall, just, you know, and, and, and you can keep, we can keep going on about this for at, at numerous different levels and, and what it means for, for, you know, hours, but, this, I think, presents a real chance for the ARU management and the board particularly to have a proper good hard look at themselves um, and and try and, you know, get their stuff together because it's, it's long overdue. You know, the, the Cosgrove review was nearly two years ago and, yes, there was board changes, but we still don't really have independent governance of the game in this country. And I think it's long overdue now.
1: Yeah, I mean, we'll... I find it interesting that Pulver's job is seemingly under threat now, because up until the Curtly Beal scenario, I, I thought he'd done a fantastic job in terms of you know starting the NRC, appointing you and Mackenzie, um, seemingly had everything going in the right direction.
0: Yeah, he certainly certainly has had his achievements, but I, I think the uh, I think he maybe showed too much faith in Mackenzie in that he sort of. Mackenzie was really sort of picked to be the saviour of the Wallabies and the saviour of Australian rugby and probably let him have control over over sort of, uh, I guess, appointments and and sort of the, the management side of the team, whereas it probably should have been more limited to the coaching side. So sort of, in some ways, Pulver sort of hitched his wagon to Mackenzie and left him in charge. And then when that didn't work out, it I think it it does sort of reflect badly on Pulver. Mm. Like, ideally, you want him—you want him in control of these matters and, and avoiding them happening to begin with, sort of thing. So, and, and that's obviously maybe a, an unfair sort of comparison to, to put someone up against. But I guess you—that is—that's always what you're going to compare to a situation where everything runs smoothly and there aren't any major, major sort of embarrassments for the game, and uh, it's just down to the team and how they how they can perform on the field. So.
2: It's, it's almost like he, he went from – and he even admitted it. He went from the extreme of Robbie Deans having virtually no control, which is a ridiculous situation in itself, to giving Ewan McKenzie carte blanche. Yeah, he's let him do absolutely everything. And, and we heard the, the term, you know, a CEO-type role. And and, and and McKenzie even took that on. He he got completely involved in the in the business side of things. He, he, t- he told me for, for ESPN Scrum back in July that um, he, you know, comp- he sits in – on all the division meetings within A.R.U., he knows knows every element of the operations. You know, within there's ten divisions within the A.R.U. He told me at the time, and he knows what's going on in all of them. Um, and then, even within the Wallabies camp, he he told me that they they had their budget broken down into hour increments, so they could work out how their spending was going. You know, by the hour, which you know, even just trying to get my head around that is is a bit is a bit difficult. But it just gives you an element of. I guess how I guess how uh, how completely um, embedded in in the business of the game Mackenzie was and 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 I, and I heard it and read it, read it said earlier this week it just looks now in hindsight like a classic case of Mackenzie being trying to do everything and ultimately it's brought him down.
1: Yeah, I mean, but, but I mean that was what he did at the Reds, though, wasn't it? I mean, that that was the reason why they turned it around was because they gave him carte blanche, essentially. Yeah,
2: yeah, but but I suppose the difference the the difference there was that was that Jim Carmichael was, um, was I guess, similar similar to Bill Poole, was was brought in to do a job to um, to, to rescue Queensland rugby, if you like, and and they certainly did that together. Um, but I I still always had the impression that the business side of of, of Queensland rugby was still very much Jim Carmichael's domain, and I think, you know, I I think there was a definite demarcation there. Whereas, I I I do think in in hindsight, and again, it's very easy to say this now, but I do think Mackenzie was probably trying to have his finger in too many pies, perhaps.
1: Well, it's certainly going to be a fascinating read in however many months, Hmm. years time until we see a uh, an autobiography on the shelves. I think that's going to be one of the.
2: I loved your line the other day, mate. That it's gonna be a battle of the autobiographies and the yeah. biographies because that's that's how we'll get the full oh, story.
1: I'll be I'm, I might go and camp out now because it's gonna be uh, absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Anyway, well enough about the off-field stuff. Let's let's get back to the rugby and and um, we'll start with the Blitterslow on Saturday night. I mean, I watched it again the other day and 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 Jesus, it was a cracker of a match, wasn't it? I mean, the end score being I think twenty nine twenty eight. A last-minute conversion from Colin Slade, putting the dagger into all of our chests after such a good effort and being up for most of the game. Um, we'll start with you. I mean, what what was your takeaway from the game, and and probably who was your man of the match?
0: I just thought I thought it was an absolutely brilliant game, um, and in some ways, I was like. I was devastated that we lost, but I was also quite buoyed by the fact that uh, it had been such a good test, and I really felt the Wallabies had, had put in and and played a really really strong game. Um, it, was, it was, I think, quite easily the sort of the best test we've played this year, um, and I thought the All Blacks were really good too. And unfortunately, they they did us at the end. Um, look, I think I would probably go with go with most people and say that Koro had another. Amazing game, and his form's just been brilliant. So he's probably my man of the match. But uh, a couple of the forwards are unlucky to miss out on that as well. So,
1: yeah, I mean, gee, it, it was great to watch, Brett. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll pitch you the same question, but also the other question was, I'd like to know from you, being a Canberra man, where did Christian Leolafano come from? Yeah,
2: yeah, he he just had a he had such a good game. That's that's his that's his best game since um, oh. Argentina last year, I suppose. Before he before he got injured, uh, that's that's comfortably his best game this year in any jersey. Uh, and it wasn't definitely. It was it was it was the, it was the things. It was just the little things he was doing. It wasn't that he was making breaks or that he was taking on the line. Or like, it was the little things. It was the little, the little, the, the underlines that he was running for uh, for Foley to to to, to pick up. Kurudrani or Ashley Cooper at the back, or Falau occasionally. It was the the deft little touches in traffic that he was doing, and his defence was extraordinary. I I saw um, it might have been um, Steve Lenthal. I think tweeted at one point that he'd made twelve tackles and no misses. And and I just I can't ever remember Christian Lilifano missing no tackles in a game. He's never he's never been a Matt tamua like defender. Um, and I and I mean that you know with no disrespect and, and in the nicest possible way at all, but he just had a a superb game um, and and to the point now whereas if there was a test played this weekend it would be actually be a hard call to bring Tamua straight back in so so straight away he's given checker a headache there which is great um, Foley was a re- a uh, uh, well, Foley, Foley was good. Um, Nick Phipps was was excellent until he ran out of puff. Um, Scott Fardy was was really really good. Picked up some really crucial turnovers in the first uh, half an hour, especially. Um, Slipper was excellent. Uh, Seifinger was was very good. I thought I actually thought Carter and Simmons worked well together. They they got through a mountain of work, especially and and um, and and the the general the first half defence particularly forced a lot of mistakes from new zealand i think the error count and the turnover count was something like 18 6 in the first half which is which if you had have seen that scoreline and you didn't know who'd made what you would have assumed it was the the wallabies making the more mistakes and turning over the ball and there was a a lot of unforced errors from the all blacks and and that's i think what steve hansen was talking about saying you know this has probably been a good a good lesson game for for our guys
1: yeah i mean you, you watch that game again, and, and the speed of our play is just staggering, mm. isn't it? I mean, the All the Blacks... The flatness
2: of the back line as well was f- was, was noticeable. Um, yeah. It, 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 they they've noticeably flattened up, and, and that has traditionally, um, if teams have been good enough to pull it off, that that flat attack has sometimes caused, caused problems for the for the All Black defence.
1: Yeah, and, and having... I mean, and that's the game that Bernard Foley likes to play, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. it's what he does for the Tars. He stands flat to the line. And he uses his ball runners, forward ball runners outside him and and his big centers. Um, But then in the last 10 minutes, it seemed like that was the plan. And we started to wind back from that. And we started hitting up one, two off the ruck, flat footed. It was a bit of a hark back to those 2011 days, wasn't it? We just seemed to lose the plot a bit.
2: It was. McKenzie said (laughs) in the presser while we're all waiting for the freaking announcement to just be made, (laughs) um, he, he said that, we we had the plan the last couple of minutes. We we knew what we had to do. We just didn't execute well. And that, for all the criticism of of Nick White's decision making, that Mackenzie's words told me that he sent him out there to kick out of the, kick out of their own territory. They they were they were ahead. They just wanted to play the other. Uh, at that point in the game, they just wanted to play down the other end of the field. And you know that's a that was an interesting admission because you know it was just it was inviting New Zealand. to to have a last crack and the All Blacks are always going to do that they that's the difference between you know number one in the world and everyone else the the All Blacks play you know not just to the 80 minute to the 80th minute but to the 83rd minute to the 85th minute if they need to they'll play as long as they can to get the result and um, you know that's that's the big takeaway for the Wallabies, I think, out of that out of that game. You know, they were it was seventy nine minutes fifty eight seconds when when Fekitoa scored the try. Um, you know, so they were two seconds away from winning it, but realistically, you know, perhaps in that last couple of minutes they lost it.
1: Yeah, I mean, Will, what do you think the answer is with our bench? Because it seems like we've been here before with, with that lack of impact in the last 15, 20 minutes.
0: Yeah, and I think maybe we need to to hold one of our, I guess, sort of better players and maybe more impactful players back for the bench. Like, we just don't have the balance we need right now. Um, we've got sort of, I think, one thing that's sort of hurting a bit is, is Ben Alexander's not sort of the in the barnstorming form. He was probably in a, a year or so ago, mm. um, sort of round the field. And Robinson's back in the side for his scrummaging, and that that's fine. But we're just sort of lacking that sort of... Someone who's sort of got a lot of experience to, but also got that sort of physicality to just bash the ball up a few times. Like, realistically, we probably need it from Hall with the, the way the side's currently shaped. And we're maybe just not quite getting it. He's, he's getting through a lot of work in most of the tests he's involved in, but uh, maybe not that impact.
2: Yeah. Um... The, two, the, two, the two best bench performances, the best impact players off the bench this year have been Scott Higginbotham and Kurtley Beale funnily enough, and yeah. neither of them have been on the bench for the last two games.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I copped a bit of flack for, for rating down Matt Hodgson on on our ratings. And, and look, I love Matt Hodgson. I think he's a fantastic player. And those avid listeners of the podcast, remember, midway through the season, I actually floated the theory that he could be Wallaby captain. But mm. the problem with Hodjo is what you get from him off the bench. Yeah, look, he'll take a turnover, he'll take two. And that's fantastic. But realistically, in those last 15 minutes, we needed just a little bit more physicality. We needed a, a, a big hit-up. We needed a big tackle. And, and Hodjo's stats, he only touched the ball twice in, in, and one of the times he passed it. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not necessarily blaming Hodjo for that because I don't think it's a role that he can play. It's not his style. But he was thrust on in those last 20 minutes with Scott Higginbotham taken off, you know, who is that kind of ball-running player, and, and I'm not sure if that was a real like-for-like like substitution that that, that suited us well in the in the last minutes.
2: Yeah, that's a, that's not a bad observation. I think I think McCalman being fit and touring again um, might just sort of force the hand there again. I, I think you're right. The game when it was being played in those last twenty minutes wasn't for wasn't for a Matt Hodgson. Um, it wasn't for a down and dirty in tight type, type player. It was it was for a uh, it was for a Higginbotham or a Hooper. Type type back row, wasn't it? You know, someone who can play that link game out a bit wider, who who can hit the ruck hard you know, in, in in attack. You know, can carry strong and can pull the odd turnover if it's there. But you know, we're really realistically we're talking about an attacking game, and yeah, it it, could, it would just be interesting to watch the first couple of selections to see in that back row, particularly to see how it how it goes um, with Fardy not being there as well. I think that. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe now's the time to start in a blindside, for example.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, it's that's going to be the first fascinating selection of the end of year tour. But mm. we we'll, we'll, we'll keep getting ahead of ourselves here. We'll, we'll stick to the like <laughs> just <laughs> for a few for a few more minutes. Um, I mean, other talking points out of that game. I mean, I thought in terms of the referee, Craig Joubert had a fantastic game. It's something he's suited to that open, flowing style, yep. and why that was the first time we've seen him this whole international season is absolutely beyond me. I'm very critical of the referee's appointment process, but that's a story for another day. The one controversial decision was Aaron Smith's try, um, where, you know, you'd feel a little bit aggrieved looking at that afterwards. And I think Craig would be probably kicking himself because even the players at the time, uh, the Wallaby players knew that he was well off the mark there, but, um, other than that, I,
2: I thought <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I'm hearing you. I'm hearing you say this, and I'm actually I was trying to think where the controversy. I, I have to admit, I didn't even think about that, mate. I just thought, no, it's, he's taken that pretty well from the market. It's oh, a try. Yeah, I, 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 I honestly I I didn't that, think anything of that.
1: Well, there's there's a few photos floating around the internet that uh, you, you might have to try. I might put up on Twitter uh, with this that that showed okay. that the positioning of it was, was, was 10 metres probably away from where it should be. And that was one of the reasons why James Horwell was caught out of position because he was running back, being the man who committed the penalty. He thought he knew where the mark was and uh, he he got a bit wrong-footed there by Aaron Smith taking the tap of it before he thought.
2: Well, if and, you and can't maybe... trust the internet, who can you trust? <laughs>
0: exactly. <laughs> and, and maybe that was... That was sort of, I guess, maybe Goubert sort of blew the penalty and and should have said actually it's over here. But I, I thought Smith did the right thing in that he uh, Joubert sort of blew blew the penalty and then Aaron Smith sort of ran straight at him with the ball and took the tap. So yeah, and that's, and that's the why the I didn't really think of it either. Yeah, Joubert was and the only thing. That can really pull that back is for Gilbert to say, No, 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 actually I've blown the penalty, but it's actually I'm ten metres away from where, where I'm gonna give you the mark sort of thing. Um, yeah.
1: Look, it's a hard situation, I don't particularly blame Jibir. Those these things happen in a footy game. And if that's if that's the only mistake he made, well, he's had an absolutely sensational game. I
2: no I completely agree with that, Hugh, and, and I, I, I wrote a piece a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, is this now the time for Sanzar to tell the IRB, you know what, we just want Southern Hemisphere refs in the rugby championship. Thanks very much. And then Nigel Owens went out and turned out an absolute cracking game, uh, whichever one that was. Um, and, yeah. <laughs> and I was completely forced to eat my own words the next uh, the next week. Um, and you, you're right; it was it was absolutely that sort of game that Joubert referees really well. He set, I thought he set the benchmarks early um, and well. He he put New Zealand on. Ruck infringement notice in the second, in the first half, and and that was pretty appropriate at the time because they were, you know, they they were they were getting well beaten at the breakdown and and, and were forcing, um, you know, a few little tricky little things, weren't they, Mr. McCaw? Um, and and I thought he handled all that pretty well, but then New Zealand reacted in the second half, and 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 I don't think the game's any any less for it. I, there's, I mean, I I generally don't watch referees, which tends to shock people. I think I think people expect, you know scathing critiques of referees every every week but I just don't watch referees if I can avoid it so yeah. I, I agree with you I, I didn't notice Joubert at all which is always a good sign
1: yeah and Richie oh Will I mean geez he took a line out steal at one point I think in with the 15 minutes to go and I oh, just, he's got to stop it this is getting too much God, I mean I, yeah. yeah we love to hate him but isn't he just a, he's an absolute legend
0: yeah, he's he had a phenomenal game and it it's interesting how well he's playing and at the start of the super rugby season I and several others were sort of writing him off. He he looked sort of well off the pace and, and then he had that sort of he broke his thumb and um and was sort of out for a while and sort of people were wondering whether he'd really really be right to come back and and back to his sort of anywhere near being uh, sort of uh making the all black side on just his ability as a seven. But, uh, he's clearly just his form sublime at the moment. And, um uh... How how old is he? About forty five or something. It's ridiculous. <laughs> he's
2: he's just he's a few years younger than Radiki Samo when he finished playing.
1: Oh, <laughs> no, I don't want to think about it. Anyway, well look, that's that's enough praising Kiwis. That's yeah. that's that's I think as much as they're going to get out of this podcast. So, let's, <laughs> let's, frankly, let's, they'll be surprised they got this much. Yeah, if they've listened. If you've come this far to listen, well done to you. So you, you can switch <laughs> off now. Uh, um, Anyway, let's move on to the end-of-year tour squad, which was announced today. And really, is, as, as we touched on before, not not any not many surprises at all. I think the only surprise for me was the people that weren't there through injury. I, I was hoping to see Scotty CO, I was hoping to see Tatafu. And I was hoping to see Wycliffe Palu And, and we saw none of those three. Scott Fardy uh, is out with a knee injury, went under the knife today. I'm not sure exactly of the seriousness of that. And Sean McMahon... Comes in for a, for a pretty well earned spot, I, th- I think, Brett.
2: Yeah, I I couldn't disagree with that at all. Um, I was was being asked early on in the piece in the in the NRC if anyone had played themselves into uh, into Spring Tour contention, and Sean McMahon was the first name I, I rattled off because he he's just been outstanding. Is the is the word from it from from game one, and he played a little bit of seven for the for the Rebels at the end of Super Rugby, but this was really the first chance for him to to shine as an open-sider. Um, and they've got an embarrassment of riches down there in Melbourne. For open-siders now, when you think about, you know, Fuglistola, uh, Colby Fahenga. <laughs> yeah, Jordy um, Reid. And, and now Jordy Reed, yeah, and, and now McMahon as well. Um, he's just a – it's hard to believe, and he doesn't look like he's 20 or 21 um, or however old he is because he's just a big, big guy um, and an unbelievable player. I have managed to catch um, – Catch him, uh, watch him in the in the flesh. Up when they played New South Wales Country in Orange, and he had a f- phenomenal game. And, and at the time, that was the first time that um, that Melbourne had really been pushed, and he was just just outstanding. So I'm not at all surprised he's there, and I'm quite happy that he is. Um, I'm, yeah. I, I, again, I I don't think there's any any major surprises. The the situation with with Palo and and, and now again, I think. Um, Baba, you, you said the other day that um, that this is another one of these parlay injuries where it should only be two weeks, but we haven't seen him for three months, um, and and here we are again. How much of it now is is that it's ongoing, and how much of it's workload management, for example? Um, oh,
1: I Farty, can't believe it. It was, Farty, it, was a, it was a concussion, wasn't it? I thought.
2: Yeah, I, can, I have to admit I can't even. Remember. And what what's knocked him out to be? And, oh no, pun Obviously intended. Obviously can't either. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> <was> a... <laughs> yeah, Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, yeah. It um,
0: definitely was a concussion that yeah. uh, took him out initially, and then I remember hearing a report that uh, he was still getting the ongoing concussion symptoms. So they sort of wanted to sit him out for a couple more weeks. Yeah. But uh, I was expecting him to be on the on the tour. Um, maybe they've decided of... that. That sort of, given his his age and his fragility and and the fact that he did have the uh, concussion sy- symptoms hanging around for a while, that they just sort of sit him out from this tour and and just figure that he gets a good off season back for the Waratahs and then and then hopefully build to the World Cup because I think uh, I think it, sort of any coach is, is going to want him there like uh, it's sort of I guess shown over his career that that whoever the coach has been has picked him when he's been healthy um, pretty much without fail so.
2: I wonder if the Wallabies coach wanted to take him, but the Waratahs coach wouldn't let yeah. him. <laughs> um, Scott, Scott Fardy, um, well, I think was a bit of a surprise. I don't think we quite realised that he was under a cloud. And, and yeah. all we actually heard about it was that he'd had the had the surgery yesterday here in Canberra, apparently, and um, and now he's out. So I don't actually think that's necessarily a bad thing because I think he missed one super rugby game, but I think he's basically played every game. Um, since and so, um, you know, he probably needs a rest. If we're completely honest, uh, otherwise, yeah, as we're saying, I don't think there's really any any major surprises in there. It's a it's a pretty decent looking squad, if we're completely honest.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. There's, there's not much to discuss. Will do. You, I mean, see uh, anything you can pick holes in?
2: Well, I think I think the maybe the
0: discussion points that uh, the fact that sort of with only four tests next year. Um, our World Cup squad is probably going to look pretty similar to this, uh, barring the, obviously the, the key players who are out injured, like Moore and Tatafu and uh, Cliff Palou, um and Scott Fardy, who, who you think would, would certainly be in a World Cup squad uh, if healthy. Um, so obviously there's a few to drop out, but it's really hard seeing anyone sort of anyone else coming into the sort of side next year. Mm. Um, their form would have to be absolutely outstanding in, in super rugby and, and really be head and shoulders above the all the the current sort of experienced test players to, to get a look in. I'd have thought with uh, only four games essentially to pick your world cup to your world cup squad and prepare um, next year. So I think yeah, it's sort of I guess the the bit to look at is this is probably it's really it sort of um, shaping towards the World Cup now? I, I can't see Checker making any really bold decisions next year unless someone really, really shines in Super Rugby and and says says that they have to be selected, sort of thing. So,
2: I've just um, I've just actually bought the squad up there while you've while you've been saying that, Will. And and the one the one name that does actually stick out now that I've actually had a look at it is is Tedra Faulkner from from the yep. Force coming in as the as the fifth prop and 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 how they use him will be interesting, I think, because um, it 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 potentially impacts on on Ben Alexander, doesn't it? Um, and and maybe even Ben Robinson, if it if it if if Faulkner is actually a better bet in the scrum, and 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 I think Robinson's scrummaging is sort of still under a bit of a question, you know, it potentially force could force Alexander back to loose head if you like, um, and 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 we we'll see how Faulkner comes along, um, how then that goes next year with. Guys like Scott Seo coming coming back in, like you mentioned, Hugh uh, Laurie Weeks has got to be in the in the mix there somewhere. Paul Alumil's had a sensational NRC for for Melbourne and and, uh, and can only get can only get better with the more Super Rugby experience. Uh, Toby Smith's another one. Uh, I'll be interested to see how they how much game time Faulkner actually gets. I'd imagine he will play the, the the Barbarians game to start with, but then you know maybe he might be a smoky for some of the later tests.
1: Yeah, well we'll see. I mean. For those at home, the, the, the schedule, uh, we start with the Barbarians, uh, which is uh, not this Saturday, but the coming Saturday after that. Then we've got Wales at Millennium France in Paris, Ireland in Dublin, and, and finishing with a test against England on the 29th of November. Guys, I suppose the question here is, is what's a pass mark? I mean, last season, uh, our end of year tour, we didn't have the Barbarians game, but we had a similar kind of schedule. We had, I think, I think we had Scotland instead of France, and we had... Italy somewhere in there as well. Italy instead said the barbarians, and, and we only lost, dropped the one game to England. Um, considering the turmoil that's that surrounded the team and the squad, um, I mean, what do you th- what do you think our our ideal result is here?
0: Uh, I think three is probably a pass yeah. mark. Um, you'd figure that, and it, it is a very good barbarian squad that's been put together. But mm-hmm. uh, you should beat the barbarians, even. Even with it with a new coach sort of our, our team's been playing together for a while and and the combinations are there we we should should be able to account for the barbarians and then then you're looking at winning two of the four tests and I think we should probably do that so I think three is probably the the, the pass mark if we if we don't get those three wins I think people will be pretty disappointed but uh, and if we if we get sort of four wins it, you'd have to say it's a very successful tour so uh...
2: yeah I'd, 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 I'd agree with that I, th- I think I think I'd like four out of five if, if I had to put a number on it. But I think um, just listening to, to to Checker batting off questions about goals for next year and things like that, I, I think he's going to see um, he's going to mark success or failure on on this tour ab- about more in terms of um, you know work effort and, and how they're playing and 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 you know the the way they're playing, if you like. I think if if they lost, you know, even if they lost three tests on the bell scoring four tries in each one of them, or five tries in each one of them, I, th- I think he'd actually still be pretty happy with that because it would tell him that, you know, this is a, a squad that's prepared to play, you know, uh, the Australian way he mentioned even today. Um, and, and I think he's, he's going to be more, especially in the short term, especially on this tour, he's going to be more about, you know, getting... Getting getting the hands dirty and everyone you know putting in and working hard and trying to earn a spot and then you know playing for the right reasons and even for a bit of fun as he said we we do sometimes forget the reason that we get into rugby um, and so you know I think it'd be easy for us to try and put a number on it I don't know where the checker will be
1: yeah I mean I think the two key games are obviously Wales and England being yeah, our two core opponents yeah. and and yep. I suppose the most traditional rivals. It is going to be interesting to see how he plays with that starting team, isn't it? Because he's got those selection dilemmas right right there. I mean, I'm not mm. sure the approach he'll take to the Barbarians game, whether he... That's, that's probably the chance he used to throw in guys like Kyle Godwin and, as you say, to Tara yeah. Faulkner and a few of these guys. But Tom
2: English and those guys, yeah. Tom English,
1: who I'm, I'm actually quite keen to see. But, I mean, for the for the big tests, well, you know, we've got dilemmas with... I mean, as we say, Christian Fano or Matt Tabool, We've got a wing spot that Joe Tomane probably hasn't quite nailed down. We've got, you know, the locks who are perennially, seemingly on the ropes of of um, being dropped, and also what what he does with Will Skelton too, which which will be really interesting to see. I think people have assumed that Checker will will be pumping for Skelton, but forget the fact that he actually played him off the bench for the Waratahs. So mm-hmm. whether he uses him in that capacity or whether he Decides to start him. It's going to be certainly interesting to see right from the get go how how Checker lines them up.
2: I think I think the be, the best part about this schedule is that we've got England last. Yes. Um, so you know, hopefully, you'd like to think that with four four games leading into England, um, that that we can the Wallabies can can finish on a bit of a high. Um, I, I think actually. I, I have to again. I have to admit, I hadn't looked at that schedule. I knew I, I knew it was uh, the bar bars to start with, but I didn't actually know the order of the four tests. So Wales and England being at opposite ends of the of the schedule is probably a good thing. Um, it gives a chance to play pretty well your first fifteen up front, and then you probably can tinker for for a couple of weeks, and then you know by England you're uh, you're ready to ready to crack on again and, and finish on a on a high, leave nothing in the tank.
1: Yeah, and and I also think there is a lot riding on this tour more than normal firstly because of the world cup being around the corner wheel but secondly just because of what's happened in the last three or four weeks i think i think a a good couple of wins will certainly dispel the critics you know especially a lot from outside of what you would say is the union fraternity um who are saying that the wheels have completely fallen off
0: yeah certainly and i think i think there's there's a lot of pride to be played for by by everyone involved um they'll certainly be wary that uh the players that is that they're, they're really under the microscope now. And um, I guess sort of particularly people who are unhappy about sort of McKenzie uh, resigning will be very, very keen to, I think, put the boot in if uh, things don't go well, but uh, the players will be very, very excited to sort of try and I guess, win back the trust of the fans and, and as well, sort of they're playing for world cup spots uh, next year. So under a new coach. So there's, there's, at least there'll be the, the perception that there's uh the pecking order sort of starts again and they've got to win their win their spot above guys that uh they were they've were been above sort of already but uh it's sort of a new ball game so i think they'll really have a crack and and sort of try and show what what they're all about so hopefully it goes well
2: if we if we think back to this time last year the the spring tour was uh almost the making of you and mckenzie's wallaby coach wasn't it it was yeah you know, they they finished the rugby championship in the third blederslow yeah uh, you know, well i'd say they, they things sort of clicked into place in those last couple of games and then they really accelerated and really went on with the job uh, on on that spring tour and and the island game immediately comes to mind as one where they were just completely dominant for the 80 minutes and and island weren't bad either they were they were the you know, island were a very very good team on the night but they were just completely outplayed and so i think that then fed us into the the june series where it's like where you know with playing france but we took on european teams you know only six months ago and played very very well so um you know it's a i think i think you're right Hugh. with what's going on now a really strong spring tour can help rugby and i say rugby inverted commas um you know finish the end of the season on a on a high to, to be feeling good about rugby again
1: yeah, I, I, I agree. I, th- I think there is certainly a lot on the line and a lot to talk about in the coming weeks. But that's enough for the international scene for now. Certainly a lot to talk about there as we go forward. But let's turn our attention now to something a little bit closer to home, to the NRC, which believe it or not, is still going. I'd uh, <laughs> be mistaken for thinking it's gone completely. I certainly know my focus has been drawn elsewhere in the last few days. But we've got our semi-finals this weekend and... Uh, we really reaching the business end of the competition. And on Friday night, I believe I'm looking at the, the right schedule, but we've got uh, the game between New South Wales Country and Brisbane. And then on Saturday, it's Melbourne and Perth. Am I right, Brett? Yep,
2: you are That's right, correct. mate. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Seven, 7.30 Friday night and 3.30 on Saturday afternoon.
1: And the New South Wales Country game is going to be held at Central Coast Stadium in Gosford. It is. I was quite surprised at and a little bit worried, to be honest, because of... The, if I'm only just finding out now God knows the people of gosford uh, may well be a few steps behind but- yeah
2: I, I know i know that it was confirmed uh late last, last week before they actually secured their spot but they the, the country guys sort of weren't quite sure whether to announce it and you know potentially look like idiots if they if they lost second spot um, and, and and how to do that but they I know they're already They've already hit the ground running this this week in terms of promotion. There, they've um, they had a really heavy promotional week up in Dubbo just last week, so they've just continued that on just in a different venue. Um, it was always going to be Gosford or or Wollongong, um, and 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 Gosford ended up winning out in the end. And yeah, realistically, we're talking about decent stadiums with with TV lights. That was the that was the yeah. requirement. And, so and, uh, um, well,
1: yeah. Anyway, look, and that's 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 enough of that that off field negativity. We're going to get to the positives which is the form of these four teams because they're all really hitting hitting the semifinals with a bit of momentum and that's what makes them so intriguing. I mean, let's start with that Brisbane country game. Um, Brisbane, obviously, coming in off the back of that curtain raiser um, the other night and I'm just trying to get the scores up from that so I can be 100% positive, but I'm uh, not probably looking at the it right side. It was
2: there. Brisbane 37, Canberra 16. Was the there you go there.
1: and and again country coming off a uh, pretty decent win as well so yeah for 40 40 or 34
2: perth scored two tries in the last seven minutes i think in that um it was a real grandstand finish by the sounds of it so yeah. um we you, you made the point about four four good teams the we've we've hit we've, we've reached the finals with the only four teams in the competition with positive for and against and with the only four teams in the competition that have scored more tries than they've conceded. Um, and that's always, you know, you, the good sign, realistically. Uh, Perth go in with a 3-5 and five record, but they've actually played pretty well and they've probably been unlucky in at least two games that I can think of straight away. Um, so Friday night, um, country and Brisbane City could be an absolute cracker. That could be the game of the competition, I think, because they're two really really well drilled but well balanced teams um, the, the breakdown battle alone could be could be anything you, you're talking about um, you know Taylor gray will Miller um, for for country and and well now you know Jake Schatz has missed the wallaby squad Liam Gill hasn't been named and hasn't played for, for, for a while but my understanding is that he's actually fit and available this weekend so so potentially you could be talking about uh, uh, you know shouts gill and all of a sudden I've just forgotten who their uh their gun michael Gunn michael gun, uh, gun, exactly. gun yeah enough, yeah. <laughs> yeah that's worked out well um, <laughs> and they've they've been going going really strong so yeah you know, that's that's going to be a, a cracking game on Friday night
1: it is isn't it I mean will uh, the brisbane team and the country team both I mean with the exception of quade cooper but both really haven't been affected too much by that Wallaby squad. As Brett just said, there's maybe one or two guys coming back, but they've had pretty solid squads for most of the season, haven't they?
0: Yeah, definitely. And I, I guess uh, the New South Wales Country Eagles are sort of the team I'm, I'm supporting, and uh, they've sort of got a couple of Wallabies back at some points during the season, mm-hmm. which were uh, Nick White and uh, Josh Van Ray for a, a game or two. But yeah, otherwise their their team's sort of been been pretty stable, and and they certainly haven't lost any extra players to the uh, end-of-year tour um, whereas uh, I guess Brisbane sort of had uh, Genier and Cooper for little bits and pieces, and and they've they've obviously uh, off to off to Europe. So, uh, but yeah, it's the the other game will be interesting with the players that are, they they that drop out from there to the uh, Wallabies. Uh, maybe there's a chink in the uh, the Rising's armour um, losing three of their best players. So C-
2: certainly certainly losing McMahon and, and Luke Jones particularly will be a a bit of a loss, but. I think they actually cover it pretty well. They can they can still you know like C- Caden Neville and Sam Jeffries is the other lock there down there for Melbourne. He's been going really well, um, but they've just been able to they've just been able to bring in guys around and, and, and cater cater pretty well. Um, I was talking to to Sean. I was talking to all four coaches today actually, but but Sean Hedges just sort of said we. They'd had, a, they'd had a really good run with injury in that they didn't really have any any major injuries apart from uh, Toulouse and Viano at the end. Um, they And so they were able to actually rotate a couple of guys um, and, and that's worked out pretty well for them. So, you know, there's not going to be a lot of change, not going to be a lot of disruption in that Melbourne side. Um, and Perth, I think... I think Perth actually arrived in the semis in a pretty settled place because... They haven't had a home game now for, for two weeks, so there hasn't been any parachuting of super rugby players in on it and 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 the club guys and the four squad guys that are that are in there that have done the job um, are actually playing pretty well and and and, and guys like Zach Holmes um, has got some good game time under his belt. Luke Burton at inside inside centre's gone alright. Um, Justin Turner, the scrum half is a
1: Yeah, I was gonna say
2: the guy was yeah, gonna be the next big Big thing in in Super Rugby a couple of years ago, but I think he's had two knee reconstructions since then, and he's sort of just starting to to really hit his straps again and, and remind us, if you like, of of why we thought he was going to be a gun two or three years ago. So, um, yeah, I, I think they're they're pretty well placed. Perth, they're, they, I mean, they think they can pull off a surprise, and of course they're going to say that, but they they think that because they are a bit settled and and perhaps Melbourne. You know, losing losing a couple of gun forwards it might just be a bit of a, a chink in the armor, like you say, Will.
1: Yeah, it certainly is an intriguing proposition, and it's just added that little bit of of interest into that finals, having Melbourne drop down mm. just a little bit. You know, not not a huge amount, but it, it, you certainly think, especially uh, Brisbane and New South Wales Country, might be just licking their lips a little bit and seeing seeing a little sign of weakness there, but. Anyway, let, let's get a tip from from each year. what What's what's the final going to be? I mean, I'll start and I'll say I'm going with Melbourne, New South Wales, Country. I think the Country guys are uh, uh, just a, a really solid team, one to fifteen. Very, you know, almost dare I say, use the word workmanlike. Um, I love the form of Sam Windsor and I like um, mm. Tyler Gray as well, both of whom shared the best and fairest I think for for Country this week. But um, also look for a big game from Paddy Dillet at fullback, who I think's been a bit flying under the radar a bit this competition, but um, he's he's certainly been putting in some good games.
2: Yeah, I think that's I I think that's probably a fair reflection of, and I think they would be the the two teams that have been the best two teams most consistently. Brisbane had a few ups and downs, if if you remember, they got touched up by the Rams um, about halfway through the competition um, or toward the back end, I suppose it was, and. But then they bounce back well, and they're certainly coming into it in, in decent form. Um, I've just had a little bit of a... My concern about New South Wales country is that I've just had a little bit of a whisper that... And I don't know which one, but there's a bit of a concern about some of their older campaigners, if you like. I've, I've, I've just heard a whisper that they might have suddenly lost one. So that potentially could have an impact on them. I hope it does Which are their old campaigners.
1: They've got about seven. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> that's a that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, <laughs> a fair point. Yeah. no, no, yeah. I know, but I understand what you mean, and and that's yep. that's obviously to be you know a bit of hard at this and time of the year, but um, yeah,
0: and they've certainly relied on those guys this this season. They've, yeah. they've been very good. Yeah, experienced players for for New South Wales country, and and probably they've sort of they've done well on the back of back of a really good forward pack. So. Uh hopefully those guys will pull up and uh, be able to play on uh yeah,
2: yeah I, I I this is one of these cases where I really hope the spies have got this one wrong, but I just have a suspicion they might be on the money.
1: So what's your tip then, Brett? Give us a, give us your final Um I'm
2: no I'm still I'm still going with, with, with Melbourne New South Wales country, um uh, but I I reckon the uh the country Brisbane City game would be less than a try in it.
1: Will
0: yeah, me too. I I'm certainly tipping with the heart with New South Wales Country, but uh, I think I think they'll sort of get over the line against Brisbane City. They they lost against them uh, during the regular season, but I don't see it happening twice. I think I think they'll be too strong and um they've just got quite a lot of experience and and some key players playing really well. So I think they'll get up and uh be off to Melbourne for the final. So
2: Can well, we can we throw in the caveat at this point that, that nothing would surprise me from here on in? And, <laughs> and final footy. Expect- yeah yeah anything could happen and I'm i not at all, be... wouldn't, wouldn't at all be surprised if we're looking at a brisbane perth final just just so that we're covering all bases there
1: <laughs> got to start channeling phil gould and, and and questioning every refereeing decision on the base that, <laughs> ah it's finals footy. you can't blow that <laughs> <laughs> and also got to, i got i would be remiss of me to mention that that reg is probably screaming up north that no one's tipped his beloved brisbane cities so uh yeah, obviously it's again it's the southern states dominance yeah. which which is uh, creeping into Australian rugby. Finally, you know. Let, I... let
2: me let me let me say this, and let me let me let, let Reg rest easy. If if they do win through to the final, I'd give them a very very good chance of of knocking Melbourne
1: off. Yeah, I, I agree. Think I if, mean, if, if they you... can
2: if they can win through the final, there will be a really strong chance.
1: I think they're almost a better chance of knocking Melbourne off than, than Country would be. Yeah,
2: yeah, and I know Reg has been saying that for a few weeks. And when he first started saying it, I thought, "Oh, geez, really?" But yeah, now I've I've, I've come to believe his heart. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's good that someone does. Um, <laughs> uh, we we love Reg, and we love everyone who comes on our podcast from week to week. Uh, I think that's pretty much where we've got to leave it we've we've taken up much too much of your time Brett and I know that you've got to get back to doing putting on your cricket hat <laughs> analysing yeah, one, this scintillating one, test between the Australians and, and Pakistan which is one,
2: which, one cricket show down one, one to come and, and cool. I've had it on the background here and I have to admit I haven't reacted to anything happening for the last yeah, but, like I thought might have been so yeah that I've tells you that not a lot has happened in this middle session yeah I've
0: got the score, the score in the background and uh, yeah it's, uh, unfortunate that uh, no wickets since lunch but anyway let's hope that yeah. improves no, no,
2: no wickets since the fourth over of the game that's the yeah <laughs> well, but, we, uh, we,
1: good, good good, chat boys really yeah. really enjoyed it we can only hope the spring tour holds a bit more excitement for all of us so anyway <laughs> thank, thanks Will thanks Brett and uh yeah, we'll we'll ch- chat soon. Right. Cheers, thanks, thanks guys. Hands on.